You're listening to All Ears with Somewhere Soul. Welcome to episode nine of the All Ears podcast. This is Josh Mason, and today I'll be speaking with singer-songwriter and instrumentalist Amala. Having been award funding by both PRS and the MOBO Awards, as well as already playing legendary venues such as the Jazz Cafe and the Roundhouse, the 22-year-old Hackney native has picked up some serious momentum heading into the launch of her debut EP titled Consider This. Throughout the podcast, we cover life growing up in Hackney, social and political activism, using music to tell important narratives, and lots more. Amala, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. You're welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah? Yeah. It's good. I realised just before the podcast what a bad idea it is getting people to come record a long-form conversation <laughs> on Friday evening when everyone's exhausted. A little bit exhausted, but yeah. you get to go home afterwards. Uh-huh. My plan, I'm just going to go and wash my hair and go to bed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's nice. it. I've got a similar evening planned yeah myself no concerts tonight no 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 just need to unwind yeah i need to go to sleep yeah have you come from have you come far where are you uh i came from king's cross today but um i'm from hackney so oh of course it's not too far to get home oh yeah yeah yeah. i'm in walthamstow so next same similar sort of neck of the woods yeah yeah yeah. i was talking um to rick earlier on about how much walthamstow has changed Mm. over the last few years uh he said that there's like a cinema that's now a nightclub, no, apparently. That's news to me. I need to check that. <laughs> I know, you know what I mean? Oh, I don't know where anywhere, like all the trendy places are anymore. Yeah, our neighbours our neighbours were saying how much Walthamstow has changed. There's yeah. just babies everywhere. Just like dogs and babies everywhere. I think it's Yummy just, mummies. Yeah. I think the village, you go to the village in Walthamstow and they're just babies and dogs running around. Yeah, I've not been there in a while. Everywhere. What about Hackney? Has Hackney changed a lot? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, Hackney's changed quite a bit. So, like, I grew up there. I mean, I was born in 1996. So, let's say in, like, the early 2000s, Hackney wasn't really a place that you wanted to go. Like, lots of crime, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of, like, underdevelopment and underfunding. And I guess, like, right before the Olympics, um, the government started, like, pushing a lot of money into East London and Hackney was one of those, like, neighbouring boroughs. Um, so from then, it's had a lot of sort of cash injection. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there's like four cupcake shops on like the main <laughs> high roads. And yeah, it's a, it's a different experience. It's a lot more trendy. Hipsters. Hipsters. Hipster central, yeah. A lot of beards. Yeah, yeah. A lot of beards. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of coffees. Yeah. A lot of coffees as mm-hmm. well. Um, it's definitely one of my favourite places in London though. It's got a lot of culture. I just love, I just love the canal. Yeah, actually. I don't really get Obviously, that Obviously, that's much. not purely Hackney, but um, it's just so nice mm. along the along the canal. And, although, I have a like grumble with the amount of stations. The amount of stations? What's up with that? Three what do you stations. Mean? Like overground? Hackney Central, Hackney Wick, Hackney Downs. Yeah, it's because we don't have an underground station. Right. So, it's either like overground or bus to uh. get anywhere. Yeah, because I used to go to the gym near Stratford and mm. I'd have to get on all three Hackney. <laughs> I was like, this is some sort of... Someone's like laughing at me on the camera somewhere. This is some sort of like joke. No. Yeah. No, I, I'm used to it, I guess. Mm. Um, I mean, when you like when you grow up in London anyway, you get a free bus pass till you're 18. And then when you turn 18, you're like, shit, oh my God, everything <laughs> is so expensive. So like, 
growing up there, you didn't really feel like you were, like you couldn't get anywhere, even though we didn't have an underground. You just got on a bus, sat on it, took some time. I sometimes like that. I sometimes just will happily get the bus, even if it's way longer, just so I can chill out and read or listen to music. Literally, it's all about mind space. Mm. I've been trying to like give myself more time to just like stop thinking Mm-hmm. recently because I think when you're like an independent artist you're managing so many things at once like yeah. budgets and your band and writing new material and then booking shows mm. but you just need time to let your mind breathe so that's what I've yeah I've been really like conscious of that lately mm. for sure yeah we're, we're veering off in a very interesting new direction before we do I just want to venture back to um you growing up and when your first sort of what your earliest musical influences were when you first sort of felt connected to music and who you were listening to and what age that was? Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of hard one because... Three years old, right? Three years old, (laughs) officially, officially from three. But I guess like growing up, music was always in the house. Mm -hmm. Like in in my mum's basement, there are like hundreds of records um, and vinyl and CDs. It was always just around me. So like to pinpoint a specific memory being that young is hard. But I mean, so I'm I'm Guyanese. Mm-hmm. Um, Guyana's like a tiny country above Brazil and South America. And then my dad's Jamaican. So like reggae music was a big part of my upbringing, like reggae and then like American soul mm-hmm. and American R&B. And yeah, I think that kind of music really influenced me from a young age. Actually, I remember there was a... There's two songs that like are always played at any family function, whether it's like a wedding or a funeral or a christening or a birthday or anything like that. And one of them is Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. And then another of them is from an album called like A Thousand Volts of Holt by this reggae singer called John Holt. Um, you can pick any song on, on that album, it's on it. And um, that's just something that I grew up being around like hearing that kind of classic sound mm-hmm. and that definitely influ- influenced me from a young age but there was this one time where like my godmother's mum passed away and like I live I guess I grew up with like an all-female household so they were always people that I looked up to they were like strong they were independent there wasn't like a gender dynamic to what went on in the house mm-hmm. and I remember being about eight years old and the record player being on and this John Holt song playing and then me turning like to my left almost as if there's like a split screen and there's a door in the middle and my um, godmother opening the door to her friends and just breaking down and I'd never seen her like be so vulnerable Mm. ever in her life and I think it was like it was like little moments like that as a child that I remembered and I guess realized like how powerful music and songs can tie you to an emotion Mm. and like how important it is to help use that experience to tell like stories and to help others do that. I read you said something similar about it's like fragments of your memories. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And was that, were the people you were growing up with, although you were surrounded by music, were they musical? Were they playing music? And what what age were you introduced to sort of instruments? Uh, So I started piano lessons when I was about eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mum made me do it. 
<laughs> she made me do it. That always seems to be the case whenever so many artists are like, oh yeah, my parents just forced me. Basically. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I've never been very good at practicing. Okay. So, I mean, I I learned the I learned the pieces, and I've never been very good at music theory either. So I always like learned by ear. I could play these really cool, complicated pieces, but I didn't know what like the notes were on a stave, um, and it was really hard for me to like access that because it was classical music and I couldn't sing along to it. And I think it was only a few years later that I realised that's why I switched to playing guitar mm. because I could write my own songs a lot easier, and it was like my own voice rather than playing somebody else's sort of expression. That's really of interesting. Themselves. Yeah, that was like a mini revelation. Yeah. So when you were playing on piano, mm. you felt like you were singing along to... So i just go over that again so, just go, yeah. so I can get my head got around it. it. Got it. Because um, I was learning classical music when I was playing piano. Yeah. There wasn't sort of like a melody line mm, that I okay, could yeah, sing sure. to. Mm-hmm. So that was hard for me to like motivate myself to keep rehearsing and keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I always found like the music theory really alienating as a kid. Um, but then when I switched to guitar, like I could play three chords and write six songs. Mm-hmm. And that was my voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I kept on that sort of route because I was able to explore like my own creativity rather than being asked to, I guess, perform like somebody else's. Yeah. And what was your relationship like with your own singing and your voice? Were you, were you a confident singer? Did you, did you have people telling you how good you were? Definitely not. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> that seems crazy to me. Nah, I mean, my mum would have never thought I would have been a singer. Like she, I think she only really has come around in like the last year. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean... You've I, got such an obviously... Amazing. You know, you listen to some no. people and it's like, oh, yeah, their the voice is growing on me a bit. They're actually quite good. You, you've got such an obviously insane voice. Oh, <laughs> nah, I think it's, I think because I'm influenced a lot by jazz mm-hmm. and sort of like people like Nat King Cole and Billie Holiday and they weren't flashy with their vocals. Mm, yeah, so true. there were other people like in my school, for example, that were great singers, but they were doing all the runs and and all the high notes and that, that never really interested me. I just wanted to sing the song. Yeah. And I think it was because of that a lot of people just didn't think that I was, I don't know, like going to pursue it in yeah. the same way that other people were. But I, I always wrote songs um, and I always played instruments. And Can you remember some of the earliest songs? You wrote what? What sort of things were you writing about? Mm. Like a mostly my family. I know, like I, I really loved Destiny's Child mm-hmm. as a kid, and I remember writing one song where it was like <laughs> I don't know, it must have been like nine, and it was one song, and each verse focused on like a different independent woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, like so a little the, mini concept album, mini concept <laughs> album, basically. And um, I think verse one was like, "Oh, she's a single mother and she wants to get a job, like, and she's her own woman." And the second one was what like, age was it? Nine. Nine. I, wow, you I were like switched on and aware doing. from a young, young age. That's I guess. crazy. I guess I was blissfully unaware of <laughs> politics until way, way older than I really? should have been. Yeah, I think, but maybe that's part of growing up in London. Yeah. Maybe you, you, you're you sort of so aware of, of what's going on. 
No. <laughs> Nine no. years old, you it's write songs London. about. I think because that's amazing. Yeah. So my mum like came to this country when she was four, mm-hmm. um, and she was like part of the first generation of Black British people to go to university. Mm-hmm. So when she got there, obviously there are lots of like institutional problems, but she made friends with a lot of the the other like first generation um, immigrants, and I think. I, I always had role models of people that were head teachers, of people that were um, lawyers, of like black people that were really successful. And they always fought against like police brutality and racism. Mm-hmm. Like in the 80s, they were like marching on the street talking about police brutality in Hackney. For example, they all worked in like community groups. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of trickled down yeah. to me. And I was always super aware of like of the privilege that I had to just grow up here. Mm. and automatically like be british mm-hmm. um from a really really young age yeah so there's politics and sort of the state of social conditions in your writing from as early as you can remember i think looking back maybe yeah maybe that is right but like in a really subtle way yeah but i didn't i wasn't thinking about it at the time Mm-hmm. I was just trying to write about cool things, write about like yeah. what Rihanna was talking about. <laughs> I don't know. But looking back, I think, yeah, it's definitely been like a thread. Yeah. So were you pursuing music as a a career from a young age? Were you always set on that being your, your thing or were you just playing and writing? I because never, you just, I mean, you liked it? sorry, I keep on talking over you, sorry. No, no. <laughs> um, I always loved music. I always wanted to be a singer. Like, definitely from when I was, like, five, six. Um, but I don't... No, nobody else thought that I would be a singer. So I didn't really think that it was a possibility. And mm. I didn't really understand how to go about it and do that. Like, if I wanted to be a teacher, I could go to qual- and get my qualifications to become a teacher. But to become a singer was this, like, weird bubble of I don't know what. Mm. Um, so I, I never really thought that I'd be able to do this properly. Um, and I always did open mics, like from when I was about 15, always did open mics, always did showcases, always did competitions. I never got very far either. What? <laughs> I never got very far. I don't think I'm good at that stuff. Were you nervous or? I was really shy. Okay. But I made myself do it because I knew that um, if I could perform in front of 20 people, mm-hmm. then I could put my hand up in class and mm. asked the question that was that felt stupid. Do you know what I mean? So I made myself do it because I knew that it would help me. Mm-hmm. But... Is shyness something you think you've overcome now? No. No? No. You seem super chilled. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I've overcome it. Really? I think... Well, how amazing then, you do, you're, even though, despite being shy, you were happy just to throw yourself in there and just see what yeah. happens. Because that's the amount of people that... I'm sure, don't do things because they can't just get over that bit of fear or the what if. Mm. Yeah. Analogy. Now I'm on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. It's strange. Like, I asked my mum why she didn't send me to the Brit school, like, why she didn't help me, like, become... Sounds like an awkward conversation. <laughs> and she was like, she was like right out, she was like, you weren't talented then. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> okay, mum, I still love you. But it's fine. I, honestly, I feel like 
me being able to write my own songs and me becoming a better songwriter mm -hmm. has helped me grow like vocally so much. And I think that's why over like the last year and a half, mm. I've been able to start my career properly. It's because I finally know like how to, how to compliment my own voice, like mm -hmm. with my own words and with my own melodies mm. and like learning about production and stuff. I feel like that's really up tip. So you've sort of grown into yourself yeah. in terms of your sound and your voice. For sure. That's interesting. Yeah, so throughout um, your like, education stuff, because it sounds like that's when you really became, um, it seems like education sort of shaped your, helped to shape your worldview and the way you sort of thought about things. If you just run me through education, how you found it, how you were balancing work and music through... Um, yeah, through your education. Yeah, I mean, secondary school was like, I guess, the kind of time where I was able to see like the inequality in Hackney, mm -hmm. like so starkly. Um, is that a word? Starkly? Mm. I don't know. Ob obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, because obviously you have like the racial disparity in terms of um, who's working class and who's, who's middle class, for example. Um, even though class is a weird concept and you shouldn't really draw those lines, but if we're talking hypothetically, sure, um, a lot of like the white students were middle class and therefore were in the top sets. Mm -hmm. um, and because my mum went to university, I'm like, I guess I, I'm also middle class and I was also in the top set. So a lot of my friends from the beginning of um, secondary school were all mostly white, but it was a predominantly black school. Mm -hmm. So automatically just from the beginning of starting secondary school, from going from like a really multicultural um, primary school, you could just see how everybody's futures were mapped out mm. depending on what sets they were put in. Yeah. Um, and that was really difficult for me to get my head around. And because like my mum had taught me about like class and race and like colorism and stuff like that as a kid... As soon as I got into school, I was like, all of this is messed up. Like, mm. what can I do? How how do I operate in yeah. this dynamic? Yeah, what was your feeling? Like being in that top set, sort of looking around the school and how it was? Was it a sort of feeling of injustice, annoyance? What, how did you feel about it? Or was it just a case of sort of figuring what was going on at that point? I think at that point it was just figuring what was going on. I mean... Another issue that we had, well, a lot of schools have it across the country, is that they bring really like really intelligent, high qualified, but newly qualified teachers from top universities to come and teach in inner city schools. Mm -hmm. But that means that there's like this whole cultural disparity between the type of people that you're bringing in to teach a majority black and Asian population from inner city London mm. with a multitude of different issues that you don't understand and can't relate to. Um, so there would like, definitely times where I'd walk into a classroom and the teacher would be physically scared of a ch of the of the, the brown children essentially no just because of their own like background and prejudice yeah um so there was yeah there was a lot going on you could sense it's, you could just sense it they, you, 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 could, you, you could you could see it you could yeah. see it yeah you could see it definitely wow but yeah from that point I was like this is just ridiculous I I need to make some sort of impact because obviously when my parents came to the country 
as kids, there were different issues with the education system. Um, like my mum was told that she could only ever be a nurse. That was as high as she would ever get into into society. Like my dad was told he should go and work like as a, as a builder and he, he couldn't get any qualifications. Like this was something that has been like instilled in a lot of black British um, people generationally, mm-hmm. that, edu- that the education system has, has failed them. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. And then to see it from my perspective, like a generation later, it's, it's, it's sad. Mm. That's what it is. Just a lack of progress. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what sort of career um, ambitions were you harboring? I wanted to be everything. At this point. Everything, yeah, just keeping your options open. I still want to be everything, <laughs> yeah. I tell you. Like, I think at one point I wanted to be a teacher uh-huh. and then I wanted to be a professor and then I was like, no, I want to work in ad- advertising. Where did that come from? Mad Men. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, nice. <laughs> just Mad Men. Uh, Episode one in that boardroom, you're just like, yeah, I need yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that is where I need to be. I like the power. Yeah. I like the creativity mm-hmm. and the gossip. Um and writing, I guess. You enjoyed writing. Yeah, I, yeah. W- I wanted to be a journalist as well. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I sort of had in mind when I chose my degree. So I did anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, like just, I think it goes back to that thing about telling people's stories. Like it's taking something, learning from somebody else and being able to translate that and make that accessible, which yeah. I guess also goes back to the education thing. Do you know what I mean? It's about making information accessible so that other people can use it to benefit themselves. Mm. Um, and I think you see that in my songwriting as well. It's definitely like documentation of what's going on at the yeah. moment anyway. Yeah, so moving on to university, you led a decolonize yeah. the curriculum. Decolonize the curriculum yeah, campaign. T- tell, me, tell me about that a bit because that's yeah fascinating. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I imagine at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, so I mean, what 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 kicked that off? Okay, so I studied anthropology, right? Mm-hmm. And anthropology is the study of other people, essentially. And it was founded in colonialism, mm-hmm. where like white settlers, mostly European settlers, would go to different parts of the world and and literally study the people as subjects. Um, and then they would use that literature to then colonize each of these countries and, and continents. Um, and that's something that I was aware of. And that's something anthropology as a discipline is also aware of. Mm-hmm. But at my university, they weren't very good at engaging with that discourse. Mm. So when Which I, uni's this? UCL. UCL. So I'm not making you like name names. Just... <laughs> They're going to find me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, getting there was strange as well because obviously I'm from Hackney. UCL, there's so much wealth at UCL. There's, yeah, so much wealth at UCL. (laughs) And that was a hard adjustment. But then to go into like my lectures in first year and be taught about these, I guess, scholars who are great scholars, but at the end of the day, they were racist. Mm. (laughs) They were fundamentally racist in everything that they said and sexist and, you know, every ism. And this was just blatant for blatant to to see yeah yeah of course it's it's in their literature I mean it's it's the time that they were writing in it's the historical context all of that but there was just no like critical engagement in terms of acknowledging that their whole they're all like all of their ideas are based in 
racist ideals and sexist ideals. And that from the beginning of university was really hard for me to get past. So what was the focus on? Just the the studies? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, their, just the their contribution the, to the yeah. discipline. And obviously they've contributed a lot. But there's a way to go about it, which places their opinion in, in a context mm. that you can then reassess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that was in my first year. And then by, the, by my final year, I think also it's that confidence thing. I'd become more confident. I was a bit more comfortable and... I felt able to raise the issue again, but with a more, I guess, with with more like gusto behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, and the teachers were, um, uh, yeah, it was a bit, a little bit of pushback at the beginning. Essentially, they were like, I, so I was like a student rep, and mm-hmm. I raised it in our meeting, and they were like, you know what, kids have raised this so many times before, like we can't do anything. Um, we always try and diversify well, even saying everything. kids have raised it so many times before, sure, that's, got, that's quite a good indication that wow. there's an issue there. There was an issue. And they said that I should write a white paper about my experience. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just go write a paper yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, My God. So, like, two months later, we came back, so, and I'd formed a team, and we had, like, a 30-page report mm. on the issues in the curriculum and how that was impacting, like, um, black students applying, how that was impacting BME students remaining on the course because mm-hmm. I nearly left in my first year because I couldn't deal with it. Just like in terms of also looking after your mental health, there's like huge issues with um, BME people getting into university with the same grades as everybody else and then leaving with, with worse grades. Mm. It's just it's just the whole shebang around it. So I guess the output was at the end we changed the reading list. Yeah. of the core courses. So the courses that in my first year didn't acknowledge anything about colonialism. And I guess we raised the issue. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's been two years now since that's happened. And the like the kids in the years below me have just been excellent. Mm. They're like now developing their own module about race and racism. And yeah, so it definitely like opened the discussion a lot more. I think that's so amazing because we're in an age of obviously like no platforming and rather than saying stop the conversation you were saying let's just change this conversation needs to change like whereas there's so many unis where in a similar sort of situation students would be calling for like the head off the like lecturer and trying to get them to lose their job and stuff so I think it's a positive definitely a, a positive thing you've done in terms of not stopping the conversation but but changing it in a way that was obviously necessary. Mm, I agree. But I'd but. also say... <laughs> I'd also say a lot of the time it is students of colour who are putting themselves on the line to lead these campaigns mm-hmm. because obviously they're the ones that can most clearly see themselves not being represented by the education system. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time it is about changing the conversation. It's not about no no platforming. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the way that it's it comes across and the way that it's spun isn't mm. always the the best. That's interesting. Mm. So you think it's just skewed to present no platforming as people saying stop what you're talking about and don't ever talk about it again when really it is just they want to talk about other things or that what they are talking about isn't representative representative of yeah. the group of yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't like blanket statement it, but yeah, effectively, I think... 
no platforming is a way to like shut down the conversation that other people want to have. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's odd. That's interesting. Yeah, so when you're going through all this, um, was it quite consuming in terms of were you still writing music at this point or did you no. end up, did music sort of get pushed to one side for a while? Yeah, in my final year, music was not really there. I mean, I was writing songs like in my bedroom, but I had my dissertation and then I was running this campaign. So, yeah, it wasn't really in my life at that period of time because I was just so stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can hear all of those issues and all of those themes on the record that I started to write like nine months after I graduated. Because mm. I, I needed a break. Like I stopped reading books for really? like nine months. I couldn't deal. Everything was just so intense um, for that year that I just needed to relax and find myself musically and write some songs. And I knew that I wanted to like do music. So I just had to figure out how that could happen. Yeah. So what So what point did music sort of take centre stage? Uh, it, was, it was after I graduated university yeah. that I was like, I'm going to give myself two years to see if I can get somewhere. And I didn't like put a, a focus on what that somewhere or someplace was. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, I'll know if I'm doing the right thing if in two years I still want to do it. Mm-hmm. Have my degree, have qualifications. Um, it's all about just like taking a risk. Yeah. Did you have that conversation with yourself after the two-year period or are you in the two-year period? In the two-year period. Oh, nice, yeah. We have. How many years left? Oh, so you know, like... that's a, you know that's a conversation that's not really going to happen, yeah. I take it? I You're... hope so. Yeah. <laughs> as long as, yeah, if it keeps going well, then yeah. Things that have to go seriously, suddenly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So what? What? how, how far are we into the two-year period? Uh, Just so to like gauge September, your progress. September 2018. Mm-hmm. That was when my graduation was. Was it eighteen? No, it was two thousand seventeen. So September two thousand and nineteen would be two years. Yeah. After uni, so September this year. So you've been working hard. Yeah. <laughs> Three sixty life change. Yeah. I mean, you played um, jazz cafe. Yeah. How was that? That must have been. Oh my god! Overwhelming. It was so stressful. <laughs> stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I was so calm, I was so cool, until about 10 minutes before we went on stage, where I was just like, oh my God. I was, I was talking to my guitarist, Josh, like, oh my God, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? It was just the gravity of the sort of venue. Yeah, but yeah. also, like, that was the first show that I, I didn't play guitar. Well, I did for one song, but, like, I didn't play the guitar, my guitar for the set. Mm-hmm. And it was also his. So I had to, like, completely rework my mind in terms of how I'm able to engage the audience, how I'm going to um, engage him as, mm-hmm. a, as a performer, but then also like figure out what to do with my arms. Because when you have a guitar, <laughs> you, just, you just stand and you rock and you play the guitar and sing. I heard so many people say that, yeah. Yeah. What did you do with your arms? Lots of like flowy movements, yeah. And it felt good? It felt right? Well... It went very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and by the last song, I, I was happy. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a fantastic experience. Mm. It was, yeah, it was really, really good. And then also, because you were um, a roundhouse resident. Yeah. For, for a year? Still am. Still am. Finishes in like three months. Uh, so, so what does that, talk me through what that actually means, how it came about and what, what's that sort of, what's that been like? Yeah. So, um, 
actually, whilst I was at uni, I was in the music collective at the Roundhouse. So um, with lots of like different artists, there were about um, 11 of us like playing different instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, And we wrote and recorded original music. So that like really helped me stay calm and like stay creative during my last two years of uni. Um, And then after that ended, I was like, okay, we need to up the level. So the Roundhouse have like a resident artist program, which is essentially like an artist development scheme. But mm-hmm. what you get from it, what you put in. Um, so they do like masterclasses on music business. They um, have given me their space to do my like EP launch in. Mm. Uh, they're That's sold out, isn't it? Yes. So annoying. You can come. <laughs> I can come. I'll find a way to get you. Really? In, if you want to oh, come. Oh man. I would love to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's in the bar, the bar bit. By yeah, the, it's yeah. In the bar. I love the. Every time I have someone on the podcast, I'm speaking to someone. Always end up just talking about how great the roundhouse are. <laughs> yeah, they're it. so amazing. <laughs> they're just doing so. The space, like the studio, the discounted rates, the re- yeah, everything. Then they're just really, really supportive. Mm. Yeah, and you've also received funding from. <sighs> Left, right, and center. Everyone's uh, just gunning for you. It's, it's amazing. Oh, I, I do. Mobo Awards. Yeah, Mobo Awards, Help Musicians, and PRS. And then I swear you posted the other day. What? Did you post the other day about some funding? Funding. Funding? No. On Instagram? No. Maybe it's just a PRS thing. I've got a booking agent now. Maybe okay. Maybe it was that. Maybe. But yeah, it's definitely been like lots of big little steps mm. I I had no idea I would get either of those bits of funding I think it's literally my like academic ability that's helped me structure my life in the last year and a half like I do I do my budgets I plan my band I I planned a lot of this EP launch like wow. it's it's because I'm organized mm-hmm. that I can get things done yeah and yeah, that's that really helped with funding applications. Mm. Really, really did. Nice. Well, yeah, the momentums seem crazy. So, yeah, I'm glad you think that. <laughs> keep, yeah, just, just keep yeah, keep it up. It's yeah, very looking very very positive for your two year window. That's yes, for sure. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. So, in terms of your um, songwriting, um, the title of the podcast is obviously um, making change with music or. Mm some version of that um what's your approach to what has been your approach to songwriting for this ep um Mm. and what sort of figures have really inspired you um i know you sent some music across for me to listen to if you just sort of touch on some of those artists and what you've taken from them may have forgotten what i sent you so it was (laughs) billy holiday billy holiday uh hosier yeah nina simone definitely probably nina simone um I can't remember who else. Kendrick. Kendrick. Yeah, yeah. Kendrick. Yeah, yeah good. A, a really good mix of old and and new stuff. New. Yeah, yeah, I tried to. Um, I completely forgot the question. Songwriting for this EP. Yeah. What's been your sort of creative process, and what sort of mm. what sort of lessons or what sort of things have you taken from the artists that have inspired you? I think it's different for each song. Mm-hmm. So there are five tracks on the EP. Um, the first track is about like gentrification in Hackney um, and that's completely a cappella, so it's just my vocal. Mm. Um, 
And one of the songs that really inspired, well, one of the artists, I guess, is like Amy Winehouse mm. because she was so frank, <laughs> like, like frank Thank in you, what yeah. she was saying. <laughs> she was just bold. She didn't care. Um, but everything she said, it was beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Like in um, I Heard Love, Love is Blind, she's literally talking about having sex with somebody that's not her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, like, well, love is blind, isn't it? Like, it's just, it's hilarious. And it's just iconic mm. so that's something that I definitely tried to capture on like the, f- the first track I wanted it to to be interesting and to get you to think um but at the same time be like melodically beautiful mm. so that was one thing that I kept in mind um but I guess for the rest of it like artists like Kendrick I love because I feel like he like demystifies genius mm-hmm. He's so great. His albums are amazing. But when you sit and you and you watch an interview with him, you can just tell it's because he's thought about it a lot. It's not because it's just like come into his head and he's just gone, this is how it is. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's sat down and he's planned it and he's thought about it and he's been structured and he's, he's found these connections and he's molded it all together and like soldered it together. Mm. And Comes across as such a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? So down to earth. I know, I love him so much. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love him because I feel like he's, he's the way that he writes and the way that he, he makes art is like an achievable way to do it because it's not like it comes out of nowhere. It actually comes out of structure and planning and intricate little details. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then what about um, Nina Simone? Because I watched yeah. her documentary fairly recently and yeah it's just so amazing so inspiring but so sad it's just she's just such a so amazing such an amazing yeah what what have you sort of take what what have you taken from her her music her the way she um went about telling stories Mm. um well i think the song that i probably sent you was um i wish i knew how it would feel to be free Mm -hmm. by nina simone and that song gives me chills every time I listen to it. Like, from the way that the percussion is panned, like, from the beginning to her vocal, because she didn't start off as a singer. She was a, like, pianist. Mm. Um, and she would she just sang, in order, like, to make money. And I think people like that are the, the most fantastic vocalists because it's not about technique. It's about how you tell the story of the song. Mm. It's about how you take somebody else through that journey. Um and that's one of the songs that I think is just one of the best in the world. It's like, I wish, like even the tense, what tense is it in? I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. Mm. It's just, yeah, that's interesting. it's so interesting the way she's able to capture like an entire period in history, but at the same time also be so relevant. And people like her, people like Kendrick, um, People like Billie Holiday have just been able to do that so effortlessly. And I want my music in some way to at least attempt to do the same. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Be like contemporary, but also be timeless. Stories that like stand the test of time. And yeah. Always worth listening to, always feel yeah. relevant. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about Billie Holiday. Just really, she's really understated. Mm. Like effortlessly when you mentioned her vocal earlier she's not belting it or no yeah it's not about that it's just about i'm gonna have a conversation i'm just gonna talk to you on Mm. like a human level 
And I think that's what resonates most with everyone. Mm. Yeah, so what are the other... You touched on some of the themes of your EP. Yeah, I mean, it varies. So it's called Consider This, and that's the title track, and that's the a cappella one about Hackney. Um, and I knew that... I know that all my influences are basically African-American artists, and because I sing soul, that comes from their heritage, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make sure that the record felt like it could have only come from London. Mm. Um, so it starts off about Hackney. Yeah. Starts off about how that's how that's changed. And then it goes into a little bit about my life, I guess, structurally and lyrically. And then it moves beyond that. So the fourth song is about my grandmother and her relationship with Alzheimer's. And that was a single that came out a month ago, a few yeah, weeks yeah. ago. Um, and that was... The really, spoken yeah. samples really just, yeah, really give it so much like authenticity. And yeah. make it so gripping. It's really lovely track. Oh, thank you. No, yeah. Because, yeah, it's weird because I, when she first got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I used to just record her with my dictaphone. So I was like, I don't know how long she's going to be here. She is the key to my entire history on that side of my, that side of my family. I've got to like record it. Mm. in some way so that's what I was doing and I never intended to use it in a song or anything I just intended to keep it as like a little piece of all history yeah yeah um that's so lovely to then yeah having a having a song yeah I'm really proud of that one yeah and even the reception like for something so personal to like translate so well mm. to other people I never thought that would yeah. that would happen yeah and your first single um, old soul. Old soul. Oh, if you could hear how many times I've <laughs> butchered that chorus <laughs> around the house, it's a real art to tell a story and to. It's catchy. Oh yeah, so catchy. I was. I'm always amazed when people write songs that have like earworm choruses. I just find it so amazing that because it's, it's a simple, simple chorus, but it just very simple. Really works. <laughs> it's really simple. I think what. What makes that chorus effective? It's it's like the vocal, the the change in the vocal, like mm-hmm. the the flip. So it goes like, "Cause I was only three years old," and then the second half of the, or like I guess the middle of the chorus, where it sits in my voice is different. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's going to a different place. It goes like, mm-hmm. "Too deep." Yeah, well, that cry. note. I mean, yeah, it's high. <laughs> it's high. That's the one that throws me. I don't belt it. I just. <laughs> It's conversation, right? Like, yeah. Billy. It's, yeah, it's just about getting your point across. Yeah. And then when you come back into, like, the long extended notes, it feels, like, resolved. Mm. It feels grounded. But, yeah, it's a really simple chorus. It's just, I think, I think it's the way that it was sung. Mm. Yeah, it's, like, really, like, it's a really, like, sort of delicate, fragile, raw yeah. vocal, which I don't hear much of. It's always uh-huh. it's always like runs or belting it yeah. or like R and B style vocals to so hear something that feels like from an older era but with up to date stories. I think mm. is really 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 powerful. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very conscious of time. Yeah. So sadly, we're going to have to um, move on to the quick fire. Go for it. Q and A's. Could always talk for so much longer in this podcast. <laughs> um, how did you meet Shinaji? Uh, oh, that's so, oh my gosh. See, I'm not sure. It's an amazing track. <laughs> I am not exactly sure. I know she was friends with somebody who was in the same collective that I was. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think I met her a few times, but we didn't really talk to each other. And we went to this um, Future Bubblers event, you know, Giles Peterson's yeah, yeah. Like, talent development scheme because she's on it. Um, and I met her again, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, you're really cool. I, and I was like, you're really cool. <laughs> and she was like, I need some vocals for um, this track. I was like, okay. I mean, I won't tell the story. That's her story to tell yeah, yeah. about what happened. But yeah. I have to get her on the podcast. If she have to get her on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, there's really not cool. many rappers I like because I'm just super picky with rappers, but I absolutely love her. So yeah, it would be good to. Yeah. She's also on support. Her. She's what? On support for my launch. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. If I can come down, that'll be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what does success mean to you? Oh, gosh. It's a bit of a tough one oh for a quick gosh. fire. <laughs> what does success mean to you? I mean, you've me? already played at the, the Jazz Cafe. Because that, that that would be a legit answer for... Yeah. I, I don't think it's a... It's it's, it's not a venue. Uh-huh. I think... I think a legacy mm. is what, like, deep inside me that I would really be happy with. Like, all of these tracks on my EP, I know they're strong and they're literally my entire emotion for the last year um and I know that if something happened to me in a month or a year that I'd be happy that that was part of my like history and my contribution Mm -hmm. to music and to the world Mm -hmm. even in like a tiny way so I think success is like leaving a an impact of, of on some people but I don't know that's a nice way to define Mm. success is to have the stories from your songs like Live, yeah, but beyond me. Yeah, yeah. And then, what artists would you have at your dinner party? Such good questions. Because it's not like just you're not just picking people who like play Anderson music. Pack. Huh? Anderson Pack. Oh my god, yeah. I love. I wouldn't invite Anderson anyone Pack. else. Just have him. Just around. him. <laughs> just him and a couple drumsticks. Yeah. Um, what artists? Anderson Pack and Kendrick. I love. I love them so much. Yeah. Stevie Wonder is like. Oh my god, mm-hmm. I love him again. Uh, who else would I want there? Okay, let's get some women. Let's get some women. Jasmine Sullivan, she in R and B, I think is one of the best songwriters. Um, I don't think she gets enough credit. Jasmine Sullivan. Jasmine Sullivan. Should I? Yeah, I was going to say. I don't Look even, her up. Name yeah. doesn't even ring a bell. She's I was going to like nod albums. along there and be like, yeah, yeah, Jasmine <laughs> Sullivan. I'm just not going to pretend. <laughs> and then she's an R and B and soul singer. Okay. From the USA. Um, and she's just excellent, mm-hmm. just excellent in her storytelling. She's really the- theatrical, mm. um, but also interesting in what she talks about. I think that'd be that'd be cool for her to be there. Um, Beyonce, jeez, can I come? <laughs> this, uh, the standard of this I, dinner party: Anderson <laughs> Pack, Kendrick, Beyonce. Wow. Yeah, and Adele. Mm. Oh yeah, she's so real. She, she's just I love so, Adele. Yeah. So, yeah, she really inspired me, actually, as a kid. I learned all of her, like, her first album. Mm-hmm. I learned it all, played it all on guitar. Every, every like, school performance, I sang an Adele song. Have you got recordings? I would love to hear that. I've got you, one. Have you? Yeah. Please I've send got, it to me. Just okay, to I will. But I was, it's just okay, like, when you listen to it, I'm just cute. It's like, yeah, okay. this is okay. Right, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having Time me. Time has really flied. Um, yeah, wish you all the best. Look forward to your headline show on... Tuesday. 
Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. I don't know why I'm reminding people of the date when it's <laughs> sold out, but yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Thanks again.